right, let's put the let's push the button. Right. Uh, welcome. It is your friendship emulator for August sixteenth. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, continuing on in film criticism slash education. Um, we're going to switch it up a little bit and add a super random movie from a list of like 20 to, to wait, 250 new Hollywood, new wave, um, Hollywood new wave, American new wave is what I was looking for. And that's what I came up with. I'm not really sure how you got, how you get, um, you know, like E.T. right next to like, uh, what do you call it? Like some David Lynch films or something. But we'll work to understand that. It's certainly after silent film era, pre-code era. Uh, but yeah. I don't know, maybe I'll read a book about American cinema or something. Uh, there's going to be one of those randoms, and then um, bashing my head against the wall trying to understand Czechoslovakian New Wave cinema. Um, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it. This week I watched uh, Daisies by... Uh, very hit lover uh or also uh which is what i call vera hitlova the director of the oft talked about czechoslovakian film from 66 i want to say ikari xb1 also known as voyage to the end of the universe 1963 brilliant um little sci-fi situation we've got going on with that one it's got this space jazz that found me just really uh going down a rabbit hole which is the first thing i want to talk about today um the history the early history of easy listening music on american uh american radio stations around I wasn't really able to find one from the Seattle area. I haven't really done an extensive search. Might require some archive.org stuff. Uh, it's there. Apparently, there's a preservation society for one of these defunct ones now. There's one in, I want to say, Pittsburgh. I have it here. Um, it's... Yeah, WHPFM in Harrisburg switched kind of naturally as you do from like a uh, uh, quote unquote beautiful music station to like an easy listening station. And I was drawn to this uh, radio broadcast. There's basically there's a bunch of like rips of old radio broadcasts that somehow got like recorded onto tape back in the 70s and 80s and people love it not only is this one from uh i want to say 19 it says 1978 here february uh harrisburg pennsylvania people love this one and also it's really good it's really good there's um three hours of of music every 13 or so minutes there's a guy coming in reading some ads it's from an era before i was born when ads got read live by djs um so some of the things that people said about like the top comments on this this youtube video uh growing up in brooklyn when i didn't get to pick the station this is what i would call my mother's music which played quite often however there was always a chance to hear a more current song being covered now i'm sitting here missing both my mother and enjoying how relaxing this video is covered is in uh quotes here 
That's interesting. Uh, listening to this was like taking a step back in time, living in New York at a time, the beautiful music station stations on the FM dial included WPAT, Patterson, New Jersey, WRFM, and WTFM. I'm guessing those are New York, New Jersey, maybe. Some jokingly refer to it as elevator music. Ding, ding, ding. Dentist office music or department music. But regardless, regardless, it is beautiful music. Although I haven't heard it in over 40 years, I recognized most of the arrangements and they remain as fresh today as they were in 1972. And then this guy comes in with a full-on history lesson for us. The quote-unquote beautiful music format dates back to the early 1950s when WPAT AM Patterson, New Jersey slash New York City adopted a format of soft, string-laden instruments, instrumentals, and choral vocals programmed in a non-stop 12 to 13 minute segments in non-stop 12 to 13 minute segments by 1960 there was at least one radio station in every major city programming this kind of format most early stations uh running this format had to program the music themselves but by the late 60s there were some companies that had tapes of this kind of music available to local stations the two major firms in beautiful music radio syndication were bonville and shoal some cities like boston shoal station had by far the most listeners both formats were ideal for automation as tapes could be loaded programmed and then automatically played hmm both formats wait subscribers one service or the other both formats prospered until the late 1980s when the beautiful music format suddenly vanished within a period of a couple of years most beautiful music stations had changed formats most to soft contemporary others depending on the individual station went country oldies or top 40 if you have music choice on your cable or satellite service you will find an easy listening channel with music very similar to what Bonville and Shul once programmed. Okay, so what I found fascinating about this is I actually read the Wikipedia for a radio station that is now called The River, uh, and it is, it is this radio station, I believe, um, in somewhere between like 88 and 93, they went through a series of different uh, call number changes and I think they were just I don't I don't know I, I maybe they're because when the guy was talking about covers it's very similar to like the Muzak uh, format which if I if I remember correctly even then and again the 80s most of the 80s uh, before my time but but that was not for profit and it could not be played on radio stations only in department stores for for the very reason that it was not for profit right so it was like um it was a music that served a purpose then that purpose was uh we want people in the dentist's office and the department stores and the elevators to be pet to to have a little bit more pep in their step it was like this weird philosophy, but the, the thing that interests me about it, that concerns me, um, I listened to, I think it was like the Stuff You Should Know podcast, or 99% Invisible, perhaps, Roman Mars's podcast. I want to say it might have been 99% Invisible. If not, it was Stuff You Should Know. Um, you could probably find it. It's about a musician's strike. Uh, I think they did a replay of it. It was a program they had recorded from years back, but they did a replay of it when Starbucks and Amazon started going crazy with the union drive. Um, there was such a different landscape. I don't know precisely that there was government funding for musicians, but these 
American media companies that almost certainly get some sort of subsidies from the government um, are almost like governmental agencies in themselves, how, how financially large they are. They used to employ, this is the thing, like they used to employ so many uh, just like session players, string instruments, horn instruments, whole or whole like chamber orchestras of just like working class creative people. And uh, I don't know, a week or two ago, I was listening to like Janelle Monet and some stuff. It's hard to think of another example of an artist. She's, she's a great example of an artist that takes the old style of music orchestration and uses it as this like brilliant lush like pastiche over uh a much more modern like hip-hop sound hip-hop uh, neo soul almost like damn to to compare janelle monet to erica badu it's like beyond it's like neo neo soul or something it's like second wave neo soul but uh it's tragic that having a just a little bit of a uh, stringed instrument, just like real beautiful classical instruments. Um, it, it used to be a standard thing. Also in the '60s, which I'll t I'll talk about with this uh, Ikari XP1, they had they had keyboards that were like. They the the simple fact that they couldn't get like an '80s style like they were inventing instruments that had uh, what do you call it dynamics um, like sound uh, volume dynamics to them uh, almost out of necessity. It's pretty interesting, um, but yeah, beautiful music. I've been listening to these radio broadcasts over and over and over. What I find is that it sounds it's there was bossa nova at the time it's very it was popular and in vogue from like the late i mean 1963 for akari xp1 to have like bossa nova space jazz sounding stuff very ahead of its time um but by the 70s 73 for example this one the whp uh broadcast which I don't know, maybe I'll link it in the in the show notes or something. But uh, I'm talking about it quite a bit. There's something um, there's something about bossa nova music that almost reminds me of like uh, drum and bass now. Like there's it was like people were crazy for it, and it was sounded so. It must have sounded so cool at the time. To be like, wait, well, but, 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 well, but, well, but, but, wait, wait, what, what? And it's like the first time you've ever, you're just like a random white person from like fucking Philadelphia. You're like, wow, this is what music outside of the little, the little bubble we've created is. So yeah, beautiful music. Check it out. It sounds like a sea feel. Or like Amon Tobin or something. There's these like new school electronic like IDM things or like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe Seafield, but like Aphex Twin did remixes of them. They're like an ambient. They're, it's hard to call them an, a, an electronic band because I think they use like a real bass guitar and stuff. They just, they have deep, deep like ambient lounge vibes and they use some of those bossa nova um rhythms with like i don't know just keyboards and lots of reverb and that's there's it's amazing that's there was stuff that already sounded almost identical to that in the early 70s but apart from that uh what i wanted to talk about today let's just go through the uh the wikipedia articles that i got i've been looking at this one over and over because i'm thinking oh this might be good for the show and uh there's some good stuff here but 
we'll see if I can peruse it and remember list of a list of common misconceptions. Um, there was one that was like really crazy to me. Uh, searing does not seal moisture and meat. Fortune cookies, Hydrox, George Washington Carver. You can almost just read the first word of these and know what it's talking about. Steak tartare. My okay, this one is this one. It's crazy. I don't even believe it. Okay, microwave ovens are not tuned to any specific resonance frequency. Okay, there's a whole thing about microwave ovens. This is a whole list. Uh, microwave ovens do not cause cancer as microwave radiation is non-ionizing and therefore does not have the cancer risks associated with ionizing radiation such as x-rays. No studies have found that microwave radiation causes cancer even with exposure levels far greater than normal radiation leakage. So is that just like... Is that just like a conspiracy theory that everybody with like a microwave believes? It's strange. Um, let's see here. Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was not the first animated film to be feature length. El Apostol, a lost 1917 Argentine silent film that used cutout animation is considered the first. The confusion comes from Snow White being the first animated feature-length film to use cell animation, which is what most animated films were made with following its release. And that's cell for celluloid. At the very top of this, um, legal tender laws in the United States do not state that a private business, a person, or an organization must accept cash for payment, though it must be regarded as valid payment for debts when tendered to a creditor. Adidas is not an acronym for all day I dream about sports, all day I dream about soccer, or all day I dream about sex. Wait. <laughs> and that links to the corn song. That's crazy. Uh, the company was named after its founder, Adolf Addy Dassler, in 1949. The backronyms were jokes published in 1978 and 1981. Backronyms. A backronym is an acronym formed from an already existing word by expanding its letters into the words of a phrase. Ah, many fictional espionage organizations are backronyms. Mm. Okay. Do, do, do. Where was some other good ones on the list of common misconceptions? Food and cooking, Twinkies. Oh, the thing about Twinkies is, uh, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that to them. Don't do it. Leave the Twinkies alone. Leave the Twinkies alone. No, I'm kidding. We all know what the misconception about Twinkies is. They don't last forever. They don't last. With the exception of some perishables, properly stored foods can safely be eaten past their expiration dates. I knew that. Seeds are not the spicy part of chili peppers. In fact, seeds contain a low amount of capsaicin. What is the best? The highest concentration of capsation is located in the placental tissue, the pith, which is, to which the seeds are attached. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot. It's the same area, you know? Turkey meat is not particularly high in tryptophan? What? Okay, this is news to me does not cause more drowsiness than other foods. Drowsiness after holiday meals, such as Thanksgiving dinner, generally comes from overeating. Is overeating for real? For real, for real. Okay. Microwave ovens are not tuned to any specific resonant frequencies. Oh, yeah. They don't, um, 
they only uh, heat up the outer tissue of like, so if you put like a giant breast of chicken that's like already cooked or whatever um, inside of a microwave, it heats up by um, agitating the water molecules the first like centimeter or two of like the outside of it. And then the rest of it is just heated by the heat from that. I I read that somewhere in here. I was just like off the dome there. You know, I'm just going off the dome with my common misconception things I learned. Potato chips were not invented by a frustrated George Specht in response to a customer sometimes given as Cornelius Vanderbilt. What? Complaining that his French fries were too thick and not salty enough. Who is Cornelius Vanderbilt? Nicknamed the Commodore was an American business magnate who built his wealth in railroads and shipping. Oh, so it sounds like a fucking... Sounds like some kind of a... uh, the Samuel Clemens guys stories. Eskimos do not have a disproportionate number of words representing snow in their languages. <laughs> the myth comes from a misconstruction of Franz Boas's original statement, noting that Eskimos had a variety of words for various snow, re- various snow related concept concepts. Boas noted that the same was true to a lesser extent for English See, for example, blizzard, flurry, squall. However, Eskimo languages do have many more root words for snow than does English. Well, isn't that, wasn't that the whole, the root word thing? Language. The Chinese word for crisis is not composed of the symbols danger and opportunity. The first does represent danger, but the second instead means inflection point. The original meaning of the word crisis. The myth was perpetuated mainly by a campaign speech from John F. Kennedy. Oh. Mm, interesting. Ronald Reagan was never seriously considered for the role of Rick Blaine in the 1942 film classic Casablanca. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. So in the the classic zombie film, George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead, they don't actually refer to them as zombies, but instead as ghouls. They did use zombies in the sequel, however. Walt Disney Studios, Snow White, Seven Dwarves, not the first animated. Oh, yeah, I said that. Spices were not used in the Middle Ages to mask the flavor of rotten meat before refrigeration was invented. Uh, Spices were an expensive luxury item. Those who could afford them could afford good meat. And there are no contemporaneous documents calling for spices to disguise the taste of bad meat. I wonder if it was a serious risk to eat bad, like spoiled meat. Um, whipped cream was not invented by Francois Vittel. The recipe is attested at least a century earlier in Italy, but the name cream chantilly was only popularized in the 19th century. Catherine de Medici and her entourage did not introduce Italian foods to the French royal court and thus create French haute cuisine. Haute cuisine is like a whole thing. Grand cuisine is between high-level establishments. Gourmet restaurants and luxury hotels. Meticulous preparation and careful presentation of food at a high price. Okay, it just means expensive food. I think it's just about time at close to 30 minutes in to hit the film button. That's right. You're about to hear a little bit of... Uh, film projector sound and let's talk about DZs. Alright. And we're back. Uh, one of the things I didn't mention here, you know, the fortune cookie thing, what do you guess? What do you think the fortune cookie thing is? Not a, uh, not a Japanese thing or not a Chinese thing. 
it was introduced to America by by Japan for some reason somehow. In China, they're considered American. Um, another weird thing that I learned about okay, pad Thai. Uh, it was probably from one of these. Uh, freaking pad Thai was invented by the Thailand government in like the forties or something. <clears throat> it's very interesting. Anyway, we're going to talk about daisies, but first and foremost, um, all right. So what is my obsession with Czechoslovakian new wave cinema? I don't know. Right. And I, I just, you hear about it, I guess a lot. I don't know. It was something I always had to like curiosity about in trying to formulate some sort of, uh, cohesive thoughts about what it all means. <clears throat> I just, I've, I, I don't know. I was sort of, uh, I guess reminded by a supporter of mine that one of the things that I'm a lot more interested in is the sort of global class struggle, uh, that's been going on here for for a while between the uh, the haves and the have-nots, aka the the northern people and the southern people. But yeah, it is um, I guess kind of a weird place to be in, uh, not uh, not knowing what to say. I don't know, um, not knowing what to say about a predominantly white nation. I, I suppose, I suppose it's right that I was criticized for it because, um, you know, there were from Nelson Mandela to, I think South America to places in Asia, um, South Africa, North Africa. Anyway, the Battle of Algiers is a film, classic, highly regarded movie that we will be promptly adding to three weeks out. We like to plan three weeks out here. So because Battle of Algiers is a, I think it's it's either a French movie directed by an Italian guy or an Italian movie directed by a French guy. I don't know. Excuse me here, a little froggy. <clears throat> There, we'll watch that one uh, three weeks out. Next week is going to be the beer movies, Beer Fest and Strange Brew. <clears throat> Not in that order, opposite order. And then Skinamarink and Blair Witch Project the week after. We're going to get into some spooky stuff. And then Battle of Algiers, second one we're going to find out right now. Because we do have... A random picker and we can open it here over 250 new Hollywood films and uh, I don't know where to begin especially with these were all taken from the the Wikipedia article on the same subject let's spin get a random I might have seen them I might have seen I've seen a good amount of these before oh my god the killing of a Chinese the killing of a Chinese bookie holy shit what the hell can I really 1976 American neo-nor crime film written, written and directed by John Cassavetes. Oh, I know him from somewhere. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Dirty Dozen. Oh, Rosemary's Baby? He is an actor. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Cosmo Vitelli owns and operates a nightclub. Crazy Horse West, West on the Sunset Stripped strip in Los Angeles spends a great deal of his time and effort designing choreographing the venue's artistic burlesque act 
He fears his customers are there only to see the naked bodies of his performers. I mean, okay. Are we gonna get a? Are we gonna get a fucking? Are we gonna get a taxi taxi driver Holden Caulfield in out of this one? Is that what's going down? All right. So damn, killing of a Chinese bookie and the Battle of Algiers. Uh, we're just going straight south of the border and confronting the violence that <laughs> that Otto von Bismarck has unleashed. All right. Should be an interesting ass conversation. Again, that was completely randomly chosen. Now, on to daisies. So, daisies, I didn't take any notes on it, but I will say that it reminded me almost immediately of this short film from the early 80s that I found on YouTube through like uh, some sort of weird Reddit hole, uh, rabbit hole. It's called Possibly in Michigan. <clears throat> um, it is quite possibly one of the weirdest and most unwatchable, like, short film. Like, I don't know how many short films I've seen, but it appears to to be almost testing your ability to get all the way through it. <laughs> But it's very interesting. The v- I've seen the first part of it a million times. I finally watched it all the way through, which I realized I hadn't done before because, uh, yeah, it's just super weird and, like, off-putting. It's, it gets into, like, some low-budget gore. But, yeah, um, basically it's a short film set in Michigan or it's set in a mall and there's lyrics to a song that says, have we met before possibly in Michigan? It's almost like an extended music video with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of dialogue in between, but it's these two girls and they're like, Oh, well, Joanne, I don't remember what their names are, but it's like Joanne and, Mary are the best of friends. They have two things in common, violence and perfume. And it like, it goes, it goes around like they're going around the mall. There seems to be an abandoned mall at one point. You don't see, there's not a lot of like extras in it. It's, it's, it's it's a low budget movie. I don't know what to say. That's probably what accounts for that. But basically they're like, Two girls that are, their whole MO is walking around shopping centers and attracting older men and then like getting to know them and then I I guess killing them. It's not a lot of hard structured plot happens, but it's like a, a lot of songs come in and out where they're like something about a cannibal i see a i see a hannibal cannibal i don't even know it's it's super out there and at at about eight to ten minutes in it starts to get so weird that you just don't want it you just you just want to say fuck it but daisy's okay that's not what daisy's is like but it's like suspicious right that it's um like possibly in Michigan seems like it was uh pretty directly influenced by Daisies. But what Daisies is is more um Vera Hidlova was trying to create a really wacky creative piece of art that was like a car- caricaturizing women in a way where they were like not only were they like dolls but they were acting like super silly uh and the way their relationship with like food 
is very strange and it's it's hard to think of anything other than the sort of climax of this movie it it doesn't um <clears throat> make any sense <laughs> it's it's meant to be very artsy i guess but uh what it does do is give you a moral grounding and a sort of call to action about uh what should be on your political radar or in your political perspective by okay so the ending of the movie is basically a giant food fight uh it's been described as such it's not quite that as much as it is to strange caricatures of like ditzy girls um playing with their food i guess you could say they're playing with their food but it's not their food it's the food of like a bunch of random i don't know i don't know it's very strange because they come upon it by walking through this empty banquet hall and they're always just sort of uh creating uh chaos basically the entire other the first like hour or so of the movie is them hanging out in their apartment or hanging out outside uh leaned against some building and they're talking to themselves or they're talking to an older guy it's one it's one or the other they're talking to each other and going i'm so bored we should find a new type of food to eat or they're in a, they're actually in a restaurant they frequent the same restaurant a few times and their whole um goal when they do this is to, they get a, some guy to bring them to what it's honestly it's probably presumably their favorite restaurant or something and they get him to buy them dinner and then they go all right and it's always the same train that he leaves on <laughs> and it's just it's kind of awesome it's they're using they're using their like uh looks for this seductive purpose of a uh, kind of just getting free food it it makes you wonder if <clears throat> and it hadn't even really occurred to me actually watching it maybe not until now but it's like why are they why do they need the food so bad like there was some sort of calamity with food shortages right in the late 60s especially in Czechoslovakia uh but then again there was also like bombs and shit like i don't know where or why it cascaded into this violence <clears throat> but the very ending of the film is just a uh uh, a, a moral appeal that is like okay we uh fucking it's okay so over footage of like buildings being destroyed and what i presume is the Prague spring or something related to it they're like uh this movie is dedicated to people who think that when you step on a piece of lettuce in a film set that that's as bad that that's the only evil in the world well and it's and you're watching like this like full-scale like war like destruction of buildings happen and it's like very interesting because i went back and i watched the uh cin what is it the cinema cinematique or whatever it's called the nyu uh television like talk show about about where they cover they cover specific films after like showing them on their channel or whatever so they showed this movie on their channel and they had Verhelova to the studio one thing that was really funny i find i, I found out that she is a politician now and she kept on speaking english like okay the whole interview was set up and like the guy explained it What's his name? Shout outs to uh, Jerry Carlson. 
the host of that show. He was explaining it very, very succinctly. He's like, we have a, we have this, uh, translator here. I'm going to like do my English and she's going to shoot back, answer my questions in Czech. Right. And she's like, uh, and I don't know if it has something to do with Czechoslovakia or not. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's very curious, you know. Well, the curious thing about it is that she wasn't giving, as you know, as someone who comes from like a communist country and had problems with the regime, central planning, maybe she's, you wonder where, you wonder if that comes from a, point, a place of disappointment or a place of hatred. And she wasn't giving this guy, the translator, an honest day's work, right? It's under, under socialism, the workers, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to wonder. But then it they went on to talk about a, a number of different things. She explained her whole, yeah, it's like a caricature, like a Barbie or whatever. And she also said that... She was okay, so she was kind of like thrilled with herself about the uh about the whole food thing. You know, and she's like she said something like, Oh, even even now they're like yada yada, blah blah. But she's become a politician now, uh f- under in like the parliament of Czechoslovakia or something. And she shortly after Daisies was published, it was banned for a number of years. So I think in 66 and then by like 69 or the early 70s or so, it it, it was unbanned. I, I think, don't quote me on this, but the, the government approached her and essentially asked her to like make uh, di- like watered down versions of her previous works and she's directed like a good 20 plus films i want to say maybe in 40 she was very excited to be talking about like her new product her new projects and stuff i think this episode must have aired i didn't take that part down but i think it must have aired in the 2000s sometime um it's a super weird movie with a lot of super weird editing choices in it. Uh, it doesn't have too much of a structure, but it will make you sort of laugh out loud and how silly it is, especially with, I think the funniest part about the most entertaining and best part of the film is when they just keep repeatedly throwing these old men onto the same train platform after coming from the same restaurant and getting uh, free food because they were like wearing a cute dress or whatever. It's very funny. Other, other parts of it are a little bit like cringe and like XD. So random hot topic style. You know what I mean? I didn't really take too many notes on it. I just thought it was goofy, you know? Maybe somewhere down the line, I'll remember that I need to get back into Czech New Wave because there there seems to be like three or four other really, really good movies here. But I really loved Akari XB1. And if you give me a chance to let me clear my throat over here, let's give me a catchphrase around here until I finally convince myself to not smoke or at least not smoke on recording days. Uh, we're going to talk about Akari XP1, Voyage to the End of the Universe, and its brilliant space jazz. That's right. Continuing on in the discussion about censorship in Czechoslovakia, um, it looks like... 1966, The Hand, and then, let's see here, Band Czechoslovakian Films. It looks like at least like seven of them were banned. That's kind of alarming. All My Countrymen, The Cremator, The Ear, The Fireman's Ball, 
and Sting. And all of these are from 67 to 69. So from 66 to 69, there were at least seven uh, Czechoslovakian films uh, yeah, censored by the government. It looks like part of that might have to do with there have been there was some sort of a here it is Czech film industry suffered significantly after World War II and film distributors couldn't keep up with the demand for new movies yeah alright well it's interesting that a lot of them were banned one of them that wasn't banned is Ikari XB1 and I enjoyed this a lot. It uh, it opens with the startling uh, monologue from the main character. Uh, Earth doesn't exist. Earth never existed. There's these great. I don't know if they use some kind of like gossamer or silk or something. Um, there's these great shots that where they made sets like space sets. It's, it takes place on a space station and it's like, uh, this little thing in the beginning that seems almost like an advertisement where it's like, oh yeah, the Akari XB1 crew has, is a, um, is in fact, a colony of 40 individuals and they're going to be they basically their mission is to go find life on Alpha Centauri and because they know that X amount of planets are going to be in like the Goldilocks zone or whatever they're you know they're definitely going to like find some kind of new life or something it seems fantastical it seems weird um so at about 20, 25 minutes in, there's this great... So it shows, like, this interesting, like, egalitarian sort of life. It's almost like in Starship Troopers where, like, all the soldiers are, like, showering together. It's like co-ed. They're, like, in these all kind of, like, sexy-looking bathing suits. And they're, all, they're, like, the men are, like, bronzed and shit. Like, super buff, like incredible i don't know i don't know but they're kind of sexy and they're like doing gymnastics and stuff and then they have like they're going to like a dance one night you know and there's what it's like 40 people but the scene where they're dancing is like really cool it's like uh tension tension ensues when like in the middle of after like this second song and what's what's cool is the music it's like really crazy this almost like led me into my obsession with like the beautiful music what it was you know what it really was was people who didn't want to hear electric guitars or like any of that stuff but somehow like bossa nova and like crazy almost doo-wop sounding like keyboard solos were okay editor's note uh i meant to say uh bebop here not doo-wop it's it's strange like how and why they sort of uh drew these lines right it's like people who were like the only kind of music I don't listen to is rap. I call it crap, you know? It's, like, very weird. That stuff's so good. And it's, like, built on, like, soul and funk and, mo like, older. I don't know. It's, basically what I'm saying is that it seems it come from a place of tacit American racism. Um, so in about Act 2 of Akari XP1, they encounter a UFO and they're pretty certain that it's like an extraterrestrial race and they go um they have these like michelin man astronaut suits it shows them like suiting up and they're like oh we have to go um uh like two men just like by themselves uh to try and get inside of this vessel uh they go inside 
these little cosmonaut suits that make them look like gray Michelin men and they see that it's made of aluminum alloy, they go, oh, it's aluminum alloy, which at the time, I suppose, would have been an extremely futuristic invention. Uh, They were like, oh, this is medieval. Um, They find a number on the door, like an Arabic number, and they go, oh, there's humans. And they go inside. There's like basically rich people. It's, It's meant to be like a swanky a swanky little like cruise ship or something. They're very confused about like who or what or why, you know, at the whole time I'm thinking because it does a little time jump in the beginning. Um, and we revisit the scene where, uh, I think the main character's name is Mikel, Mikel, Michael or something. Uh, he's kind of going crazy. What happens is, so when they go into this vessel, they create some kind of a radiation uh, exposure on the uh, on their vessel. Only the thing about the radiation is it makes them fall asleep for some reason. Um, and the scientists on board somehow figure out that they're going to fall asleep now for like 60 hours and that's that's you know scientifically calculated to be what's about to happen and they're like engaging all these auto systems on the ship because they don't have the energy to like maintain it everybody's like in their little operation room literally just falling asleep and then after only 24 or so hours they wake up and it's like, uh, we woke up. I don't really know what happened. And Mikkel's going crazy, and he's like, he has a gun and stuff, right? Which is what the opening scene is. And he's like, uh, they're like trying to get him back into the, the medical bay so that they can like heal him from the radiation sickness. And then miraculously, everyone just like starts to get better. And we're we're nearing like the end of the movie here, right? They just like sort of start to get better. And they're like, I don't really know what's going on. What there was like, they like, they tried to get in touch with earth. The reason, uh, Mikhail was like trying to leave the vessel is because he wanted his own like escape pod that he could just connect to and like go back to earth. Cause he didn't think that he was going to like live or whatever. He's like, just, I'm just, he's, he was kind of just going crazy. He's like, give me a vessel. I want to go back to earth like that. He's like all fucked up looking. He has like, he's sweating. There's like uh, lesions on his face and stuff. And, uh, and then things just miraculously start to get better until they realize that they're like approaching some planet. And I don't know. I almost didn't remember this part. I was watching it on stream or something and I like didn't remember. Wait, how did the movie end again? I'm so confused. How did it end? They, and it's very weird. They, so basically a force field goes around them and they approach this planet and it looks exactly like earth. So I guess you're meant to, after the fact, think about the UFO, UFO. They were just like humanoid. It wasn't actually humans but it must have been humans because they used our our number system but then they had radiation but then uh i don't know it's like a miraculous little ending where it's like oh wow and then it like zooms in and it's like well, this is like a whole civilization it looks very similar to some american city it probably is like an actual shot of some american city uh but it looks it looks nice. I don't know if it looks like more futuristic than 1963 or whatever, but it looks nice. And anyway, I I don't know how to look at this movie. I don't know how uh, connected. I don't know if I know enough about history, you know, to like connect this to some broader metaphor. But it seems like sort of at the halfway point, they're kind of just like, well, we either need to keep going or we need to turn back, 
because we have radiation poisoning <laughs> or whatever. And like some people want to turn back. And if that's like some sort of metaphor for like communist society and whether to give up on it entirely after pitfalls, I don't know, but it's, it's a profoundly different movie from the same sort of group of directors as uh, Valerie and Daisy's. And it's just not random like that. It gets, it gets hectic, almost like a sat, like a Safdie brothers movie or something really stress inducing. And it picks its moments when to do that, but it doesn't have like random things happening. You know what I mean? Like there aren't like random cuts of like an orange being peeled or whatever happens in daisies where it's like, there's like dilapidated houses and like, like oranges and like uh, the weird scene where they're like cutting each other with the scissors, but then like the, the film itself becomes cut. It's just like, okay, that's trippy. But like, what is that? What there's, there's not really much of a story there. You know, there's a pretty decent plot to Akari XP one. And I don't know if that's the metaphor there, but as far as like the shot, the, some of the cinematography uh it's really ahead of its time and it's really interesting i would super recommend it uh it's not my favorite movie of all the ones i've done for this this series but it's pretty up there i think so sonatine was my favorite so far but yeah that's it for czechoslovakia there's um after I do this Battle of Algiers and uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, we're going to look at Romania, I think. Um, if I can remember to do that. There was a little bit of an explosion in Romanian filmmakers in the t around 2010, 2014. And uh, I want to look at one or two of the star directors of that. It's called The Romanian New Wave. Uh, you know me, I'm always on the cutting edge. I got that new tendency, that bossa nova. Oh, by the way, I learned that, that, uh, it's a, it's a fun fact. Um, I was like new wave bossa nova. I knew that like bossa nova translated to new beat, but tendency is another translation of the word, uh, bossa. It's like the new way, you know? It's like the new way. I, I'm just gonna start calling these all these uh, all these film movements uh, bossa nova movements. <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's the idea. But the bossa nova laughter yoga. Uh, I had already decided that. Oh yeah, that's the interesting thing about Akari XB One that relates to the funny title that I already thought of for today's episode. Um, there's something, there's something to be said for Soviet Russia's treatment of occupation and, and profession and all that stuff. There's, there's these specialized professions on the Ikari XP one spaceship. And it's like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a super skilled economist, but uh but I think there's something there's something there to look into about what what is a profession? What is it that fulfills a person and then what is it that's like useful to society? But this it's very utopian, you know. We got you know, we got the we got the archaeologist, you know, we got the anthropologist that you needed to decipher what was going on in that spaceship right here you know as we just like kind of made a mistake by not sending them uh maybe a radiation specialist would have been a good idea before they they all got the radiation sleep i didn't know that that's what happens uh i don't know if that's what happens you fall asleep um but yeah it's about the hour mark uh it's time for the podcast to say good night moon and fall asleep itself uh, it's been fun. I hope that my voice wasn't too froggy on this one. I'm a little bit self-conscious about that sometimes. 
Uh, join me next week for some uh, kind of low-key movies. Uh, I won't have to use my noggin or think about history too much. I want to say it's like Louis Anderson or someone in Strange... I don't remember who's in Strange Brew. Strange Brew and Beer Fest. Uh, I might even have a little bit of something to drink while I'm watching these movies. I'm staring at the airport bottle of Grand Marnier right now. That's pretty much what I like to do is the hard A. Not a beer person, but maybe I got to get some beer, you know? Feel a little bit queasy during my viewing. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in one week. Peace.